We're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 11. And just as we start to read God's Word and engage with God's Word together, can I just highlight a couple of things that I've discovered along my journey? I've walked with Jesus now for 33 years. That's a long time, isn't it? It's a long time. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that I'm still in relationship with God because I know how wayward I can be and how stubborn I can be and how full of pride and ambition I can be. Anybody else like me? You know that confession is good for the soul. Is there anybody else like me? Yeah, the trouble is it's lousy for the reputation, isn't it? So at least we're all in the same boat together. But when we come to the Word of God, we must think a little bit about what it is that's happening in the interactions we have with God's Word. Is it just an intellectual exercise where we learn some profound truths that at some point perhaps we will put into action in our lives? Or are we invited by God's Word into a conversation? I think the latter is true. I feel that everything in the Scriptures is an invitation from God for me to have an understanding of his nature and his character, his ways and his purposes in this world. It's not just a theological you know, discourse of all the wonders of God. Those things are there and they're true, but actually it's an invitation to know him. And the Apostle Paul uses that phraseology, doesn't he? I long to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, to somehow become like him. I think it's impossible to know God and stay the same. I think it would be profound for us to understand that knowing him actually changes who we are. In fact, I don't think we can truly know who we are until we first discovered who he is. And when we discover who he is, and when God reveals himself to us in the manner in which he, he delights and desires to do, we start to change from the inside out. And it's not external conformity, it's internal reality. God begins a work in you before he begins a work through you. So reading God's Word is an important thing, and I, I just love to read God's Word. I love to have conversations with Him. I feel like He's sending me invitations to understand parts of His nature and His character. And I know that by knowing Him, I'm changed and consequently equipped to help with the change that's necessary in our world. So we're reading God's Word. Let's read it together. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. A shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, the reason why this scripture is, is being brought to you this morning is perhaps it's not a familiar one to us in regard to the Christmas story, but actually it is about the Christmas story because it's telling us about Jesus. It's telling us how Jesus will come into our world. It's telling us how Jesus will be uh, offered to us as the person that will bring salvation for mankind. But it's telling us something quite profound about the nature of God. It's telling us that God in and of himself kind of likes to do things in a very small and seemingly unnoticeable and undramatic way. And if you think that through with me, that actually is how the Christmas story starts. A young girl called Mary is in an encounter with the angel and she receives a seed, a seed called the Messiah, the one who has come to save mankind from his sins and to restore us all to relationship with God. So in a small place with a small person's life, in a very tiny and profound way, God began his work of restoration for the human experience with him. 
There was no drama. Well, I suppose there would have been. If an angel turned up in my front room, I'd be the one that was having drama, I think. I don't know about you. But actually, in a very private, in a very seemingly ordinary, in an unnoticeable kind of a way, it's not spectacular, God changed the course of human experience through the incarnation that led to the birth of Christ and indeed his death and resurrection. And we are here today as the benefactors of something that happened privately to someone many, many years before any of us were even thought of. God seems to like to do things in a way that is not like we like to do them. So in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, and we all know it, you can turn to it if you want, it says that, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, that's the Lord speaking, neither are my ways your ways. Now these words, the words of Isaiah 11, verse 1 to 2, have been captivating my thinking over the Christmas season. And I began to wonder, has there been many times during the course of 2018 where I just haven't seen what God was doing? Perhaps in my soulishness, in my desire for the dramatic and the spectacular, I may have missed some of the beautiful and glorious seed that God has wanted to plant in my heart and in my life. Perhaps the very things I've been praying for have come to me in seed-like manner. And because I wanted something that was, you know, truly glorious, I didn't value that which God said. I didn't pay attention to that which God was doing. And I may have missed, and we all may have missed, a number of things that the Lord wanted to do in our lives in 2018, because his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And God has particular ways. And the whole goal of reading the Bible and, and engaging with God and connecting with, with Jesus and all of the things that we do as Christians is so that we would know God, that we would know who he is, we would know what he was like, we know his, his character, his nature, and we would know how he moves, how he does what he does in the manner that he does it. And of course, we know that much of that will remain a mystery until we see him face to face, but actually God has ways. You know, I have some ways. Let me give you a little insight to my ways. This will probably horrify you. I cannot sit down unless the floor is hoovered. So if you invite me to your house, I will ask you where the hoover is. If indeed it needs to be done. There's something in my makeup that likes things to be in order before I can relax. Is there anybody else like me or am I the only freak in the building? Okay. And when I got married, that wasn't the same for my wife, Jane. There were other things that she liked in order, but actually when we had Emily, God bless her, I used to put her toys away before she got them out. <laughs> She's been in therapy ever since <laughs> and will continue probably to do so. But for me to feel relaxed and to, to have a sense of ease and to kind of get a little bit kind of reclining for the evening or whatever time it is, certain things have to be in a certain order. I have ways. I have ways. Another one of my ways is that if I come and visit you at some point, that would be nice. Not all of you on the same day. That could be tricky. But if I come and visit you, I probably will straighten your pictures. <laughs> now, when I was growing up in our household, my father had this incredible capacity to see if things were out of line and you know, I would watch him out the corner of my eyes, a little boy, and he'd be kind of eyeing up the door frame and 
checking out whether the roof was in alignment. He was, he was a master carpenter and he had a real attention to detail regarding things that were level and straight. But actually, I think I've, I've inherited the problem. I've inherited the problem. And, and when I go to somebody's house, I mean, I cannot just chat to you and ignore the picture that's... <laughs> I, will, I will endeavor to be as sensitive as I can to it, but I probably, when you're, when you're going out to make a cup of tea, and please make a cup of tea, I'll probably flick it up. I'll probably flick it up because for me, it becomes an issue. It's a, it's a difficulty. Now, I know you're laughing at my ways, but you probably have some ways. You know, there are some things that you do. I have some neighbors, and every single morning he has to play the guitar. And we have come by R for 45 minutes, which we can hear. <laughs> come by R for 45 minutes. And, and, you know, I don't think his day would be the same if he didn't play come by R for 45 minutes. And he's probably a better person as a result of it. And at least, you know, he's playing come by R. It could be something else, couldn't it? So. People have mannerisms, they have characteristics, they have certain things that, that they are good at and certain things that they need help with and certain things that they need to happen around their lives in order to be able to function more effectively. And actually, God has ways. There are certain things about God that we need to discover. Because if we don't grow accustomed to his ways, we might miss some of the things that he's trying to show us and some of the things he's trying to do us, do for us. So, God's particular way, and this is where I'm focusing this morning, is that he always starts something in a seed-like manner. And here we are, we're looking for the great and the glorious and the majestic. We all want a burning bush. We want the waters to part and we want God to do something spectacular. And we're all waiting for that as a sign to us, but actually... On a regular, consistent basis, God is planting seed. And he does it in all manner of ways. Sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed this, there'll be a song and suddenly a sentence in that song will feel more alive than it did 10 minutes before. Have you noticed that? You might be reading a scripture and you've read the Bible many, many times and suddenly something comes out at you. You're interacting with what I would call the living word of God where you start to tabernacle with truth and you're invited by the Spirit into conversation and we need to RSVP those moments. In other words, I don't know where you're leading me, Spirit of God, but I am delighted to go. But so often, because we're expecting the spectacular and the glorious and the majestic, sometimes we miss what is God's answer to our question because it comes to us in seed-like form. Our salvation came to us as a seed. Yes, of course, in the womb of Mary and consequently through the death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. But actually, if you think this through with me, the day that you gave your heart to Jesus was because something happened. God planted a seed in you. I remember the very night that I got saved, it was the 29th of October, I was 24 years of age, I was sitting in someone's front room, and I'd heard these two men talk to me many, many times about Jesus. They were desperately trying to convert me. I don't know if it was from North Sea Gas or to something else, but they were trying to convert me. And in a moment, the words that were spoken got hijacked by the presence of God, and a seed was planted in my heart. Something, someone came to live inside of me. 
Now that night, I gave Jesus my life. 29th of October. My life has never been the same since. I couldn't go back if I tried. And trust me, I have tried. What been planted in the soil of my heart was the living, breathing reality of a God who loves me. And that grew up into all kinds of things. I started to go to church. The seed led me to church. I don't mean to be rude or anything, but the kind of person I was wouldn't hang out with people like you. You were far too nice and respectable. It led me to worship in a manner and a way that was so profoundly moving that the whole of my experience around music, which I grew up in, was radically changed. I was driven by the Spirit of God to a place of submission and supplication to the presence of God, just compelled to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And it all started with the seed. I started to change the places I went to, and even some of the people that I used to hang out with, not because they were bad or evil or anything, just something inside of me, someone inside of me, the Word of God, the living person of Christ by the Spirit, started to lead me into environments like this. I turned up at church. I had 24-inch waist, leather clothes, and hair that was back home so high that if you put a match to it, it would burn for a week. And these people didn't know what to do with me, and I looked so out of place in that environment. And I would drive through the night from places like Scotland and, you know, all of those wonderful places back from the gigs I was singing at to be at the door of the church, not because I was trying to be dutiful or religious. I was compelled, this glorious revelation of the seed of Christ in me, the hope of glory just led me to live very differently as a result of what happens. And you know, if you'd have been there on the night that I offered Jesus my heart and my life and submitted to him, it was very undramatic. It didn't look grandiose. In fact, I was a little disappointed. I thought there should have been at least an angel or two singing. After all, I was in show business. Maybe I would see my name written on a wall. None of that. Very, very small, very seemingly insignificant, but the significance of the seed of God has changed my life. It's changed how I live. It's changed what I do. It changed who I hang out with. It's changing why I get up in the morning, and it changes the whole course of my life. Inside of you, inside of you, this revolution called salvation did not begin with some intellectual prowess on our behalf. He came and he visited you by the power of the seed of his word, however that was delivered. And you and I have been utterly transformed and are being utterly transformed and will continue to be utterly transformed by a seed. And you may have heard it like I had heard it many, many times before. Our salvation came to us in someone small, someone tender, someone vulnerable, and something hardly noticeable. And the same is true of how we personally gave our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ. God, who is the creator of all things and the greatest of all creatures, comes to us in smallness, in weakness, and often in hiddenness. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that quite helpful to think about. And there was I, imagining all these impressive and glorious things that needed to happen 
in my life and around my life. And actually what I need to pay attention to is the small seed of God's voice on a consistent and regular basis that's always offering me conversation and dialogue that leads me to life. See, church, I think somehow we keep expecting the loud. We want something big to happen. Or maybe it's the impressive. You know, often people come to church gatherings and they want to be impressed by something. I'm highly under-impressionable. I'm sure you picked that up. God doesn't like impressive things. Not to the way that you and I do. He doesn't try to convince me by his grandiose gestures. He isn't trying to impress me by his glorious power. But over and over again, in the ordinary and the everyday of my life, he plants seed, almost unnoticeable, seemingly not that impressive at first, in my heart and in my life. See, our temptation out of our soulish human experience is to be distracted by the big, when actually true spirituality is found in paying attention to the small. There's a wonderful scripture in Zechariah 4 verse 10. It says, who has despised the day of small things? And that's a great question. A great question. So your breakthrough, your miracle, the answer to your prayer and the promise of God probably will not happen in the grandiose manner in which you expect it to. Do you know every revival starts with a seed? It starts with an ordinary person having an extraordinary experience in a very simple and ordinary way. God turns up and they begin to long after him and pray and seek his heart and that begins to blossom into something that we would call a move of God. And as we're leaving 2018, I have this question at the forefront of my mind. I'm sure you probably do now too. I wonder if I've missed some things across the course of my year. I wonder if my desire for the dramatic <laughs> robbed me of my perception of the simple. I wonder if my orientation to the spectacular has stolen from me the very simple and small and seemingly insignificant ways in which God wanted to answer the cry of my heart. Now, throughout the Bible, you will find, as I have found, that God seems to do things in a manner and a way that's the opposite to our human understanding. And uh, I'm going to take you to a scripture in the New Testament and just highlight some things that I hope will be of value to us as we start to focus our attention on the small things that God, by his power and his glory and his partnership with us, can become great things. Turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, please, for me. You okay? Yeah, you're surviving it. That's a good thing. Matthew 14, we're going to read from verse 13. When Jesus had heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. They were great at stating the obvious. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And Jesus said, bring them to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves with the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000. So let me highlight to you, if I can, some of the things that I've discovered that I believe are the ways of God. The first thing I want to highlight to you is simply this, and you probably recognize it straight away. Somehow, in the nature of God, he wants to invite us to the impossible. And there's a reason for that. God works in the impossible. The possible is where we operate. The impossible is where he starts to operate. But most of us in our lives, we don't like the sense of stretching that the impossible invites us to. So if God has a plan and a purpose for your life, I want to suggest to you, and I say this respectfully, that it's probably by your effort and expertise alone impossible for that plan to come to pass. In fact, if you think you can make that plan happen, it's probably not God's plan in the first place. Because God always invites us to the impossible. He likes it when we look out across the course of our lives and throw our hands in the air and move from self-reliance to God dependence. There's something in his nature that wants to keep exposing us to the gap between who we are and the beginning of where he starts to move. And many of us, we do not grow spiritually because we do not like to be out of our depth with impossibility, but actually being out of our depth and impossibility is the very beginning of growing spiritually. When we start to understand that God's expansive nature and capacity is always going to be beyond our personal reality, we start to move out of trying to make things happen in our own strength to the posture and the position of reliance on God, who it's not by might or by power, but by His Spirit, He begins to do something. And church, I want to suggest to you that there have been impossible moments for you during the course of 2018. And right in the middle of them, God would have been speaking and God would have been offering some seed, but we looked at the incredible expansive reality and we felt that his provision was insufficient to be able to function in it. I'll come to that in a minute. God in his nature always wants to take you out of the boat onto the water. He always wants to lead you into the places where he shows up in his power and his authority and his glory, where you cannot doubt for one second that it was God who did what he did as he promised he would do, that it's not your effort or your capacity or your logic or your reasoning that brought you to that place, but you and I have been invited by the God of impossibilities to step into the impossible task of changing our lives and changing our world and changing our family. And trust me, when I look out across our nation, I think it's impossible. But instead of being paralyzed by that impossibility, I need to be energized. 
Because right now in the middle of the gap between where we are and where we need to be, God rules and reigns. And he hovers over our nation to bring life and hope. And he's waiting for his people to rise up in the reality, not in their strength, but in his strength, doing all things through Christ who strengthens us. And these guys, their invitation to the world of the supernatural is probably a little bit more extreme than yours or ours. Because for me, my invitation to the supernatural was a word of knowledge. These guys are asked to feed 5,000 plus people. Now, I don't know what kind of day out or school <laughs> this is, but Jesus is clearly happy in inviting them to partner with him to make the impossible possible. When we're faced with the impossible, what we do is really important. The first thing I find myself doing is complaining. Now, I know you probably wouldn't struggle with that issue. But for the benefit of your friend who couldn't make it, it's not a good choice. God's nature always leads us to that which we can't do. So we can start to discover what he can do through us. So praying for the sick, how many of us long to see people healed in Jesus' name? Have you noticed that in the moment where you're given an impossible opportunity, you start to question your own integrity? I haven't fasted enough. I haven't prayed enough. I'm not holy enough. You do realize that God doesn't heal people because you're holy enough. Please, did you get the memo? God does not heal people because you're holy enough. If he was waiting for us to be holy enough, nobody would be healed. God doesn't heal people because we're good. He heals people because he's good. Okay? But you'll notice, like I do, when you're faced with something like that, does it not feel like it's, like it's too much or it's too great or it's beyond you? Well, that's a really good feeling for you because actually it is. It is because we cannot of our own nature, heal anybody. But when we lay hands trusting the goodness of God and we pray that the power of God would come and heal the sick, actually, we're partnering with God. Now, God could heal people, and I have been in meetings where God has healed people without anybody praying for them. But listen to this. This is how this works. God has subjected the advances of his kingdom to the partnerships he has with his people. God, in a good, good way, chooses to work with you to extend his kingdom. Now, some of us were waiting for God to move. God, will you move? And God's saying, you go first. God has subjected the advances of his kingdom to the partnerships he has with his people. So God, who's a good, good father, and we've just been singing about it, actually includes you and asks you to lay hands on the sick and to pray that they get healed. Now, could God heal without you? In fact, if I was God, I probably wouldn't bother with you. Would you? I wouldn't bother with me. i just get in the way. I mean, there's so many conversations. I call it the committee. So many conversations going on in my head at moments like that. I feel if I was God, I'd just say, just stand out of the way, Simon. We, we get this done quicker. But he's a good, good father, and he wants to share in an impossible moment so that you can see who he truly is. 
so that your eyes are open, that you behold how incredible he is and you partner with him consistently like that and you'll have a concept of God that actually becomes quite powerful to be around. Now, my introduction was words of knowledge. These guys had an introduction to an impossible moment that was far beyond any of our comprehension. 5,000 men, not counting women and children, were probably talking 12, maybe 13,000 people in total, and there's a problem, and there's an impossibility that now needs to be resolved. And so, good day, that's a good day. That's a good day in the kingdom of God. Because when we look out across the sea of faces there, we start to realize that it's only God who can do something in this moment. We move past self-analysis and we start to operate out of dependency on the goodness of God. That's a good day. That's the way of God. God will always put you in impossible situations. You see, you thought your workplace was just against you because you were Christian. And actually God put you there. You thought that family member who's always against you was a plant from the enemy. I think maybe God has a strategy. Even if that person is a plant from the enemy, you know that the enemy is a fallen angel and he's subject to the will and the purposes of God. He has to do what God wants him to do. Why? Because all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Even your worst day can become your best day. Why? Because we have to start understanding that God's way of developing us is not to give us a life where by our own strength and capacity we can make something happen. God's way is to take us out across the ocean, to take us out of the comfort of our experience into a new place and a new reality. And that's the reality of the kingdom of God working in and through us, partnering with him to change the world around us. So that's a baptism of fire for these guys. I don't know about you, but I would have been a little bit troubled by this. And Jesus says to them, you go and feed them. And they would have been having the conversations that we all have. Where's the shop? Where's the money? How are we going to afford this? In fact, you can read it in the, the text there. That's kind of where their head goes, because sometimes we try and do the supernatural by operating in the logical. And those two things aren't necessarily compatible. Oh, that rhymed, didn't it? So what did happen here? Well, the impossible is taking place, and the disciples come up with a solution. In other words, maybe this is something that God could use, and you'll know, like I do, that what they brought was very small. In comparison to the need, the supply looked ridiculous. A few loaves and fish for so many mouths, so many hungry people. So here's something else I've discovered about God. He invites us to the impossible, but he always gives us an answer. And that answer isn't the spectacular. Now, Jesus could have called manna down from heaven. God had done that before. But he chooses to partner with the disciples to make sure that something happens in them as a result of what's happening around them. So they turn up with an answer, and the answer is a few loaves and some fish. Now, have you ever been in an impossible situation, and you feel maybe God has answered you, and you've gone, really? That's it? That's the answer, God? 
Have you ever done that? You know, you're asking for a million pounds and somebody gives you a quid. Thank you, Jesus. It's going to be a long road. Maybe by, you know, by the time I'm 760, we might be there. I feel that sometimes we miss something in that. You see, we have just been singing a truth about God. We're saying he's a good, good father. And when we ask him for help, sometimes what he gives to us may not look like the answer to the problem. It may appear to us to be highly insignificant because God always answers in seed form. Now, if you want a vast array of blessings in your life and you want God to use you majestically, you've got to become acclimatized to how he does what he does. So, all these mouths to feed, all this impossibility ahead of them, and God answers the prayer of the disciples, which is a prayer for help with some loaves and some fish. Now, here's what you and I do at a moment like that. We go, I don't even like fish. I like brown bread. This is white bread. Is this white bread? Why has it got seeds on it? Well, I don't like seeds on bread. It gets stuck in my fillings. <laughs> what did Jesus do with the provision? Look back at the text. He lifted it before the Lord, and he gave thanks. Didn't he? He didn't look up at the sky and said, really? Are you kidding me, Father? Why did he not do that? Because unlike you and me, he knew the nature of his Father through and through. We're still discovering who God is. Amen? So he knew that if there was a need, and it was beyond their capacity humanly to do something about it, that God would move in a supernatural way. And whatever God was going to give them was going to be the right thing to have. Even if at first glance it seemed like it was insufficient. Now, I wonder as I look back over 2018, how many answers to prayer I've had. And when I've had them, I've gone, I'm not sure that doesn't look like it's going to meet the need. I'm not sure, God. You know, let me tell you a story. I was in a, a place of dilemma once, well, more than once, actually, but I could keep you here all week. I was in a place of dilemma once where <clears throat> I was trying to win some of my friends out of the show business world I had been in to faith. And I tried inviting them to church like this. And, you know, they came and they came unashamedly <laughs> and they didn't stay too long. First, first of all, um, many of them were musicians and singers from, from the, the, the world of the arts. And in the church I was in at the time, musically, things weren't that brilliant. So, of course, when you've got these profound, capable people sitting in a congregation where somebody's singing slightly sharp and everyone's going, isn't she anointed? Isn't she anointed? Isn't she anointed? One of my friends said, isn't she annoying? Isn't she annoying? Isn't she annoying? So I tried. I tried to bring them all. I remember bringing comedians and some of them you would know and all kinds of people, you know, and it just didn't work. They just didn't stay. And if they stayed for the music, which was really way too long as far as they were concerned and not really good enough as far as some of them were concerned, they would never stay for the talk. I mean, who wants to sit and listen to somebody talk for 40 minutes? Okay, so they would leave 
And I'd look up and we were desperate for these people to get saved. And I just really believed God wanted that to happen. And I'd seen all kinds of good things happen in other ways. And I just, I was praying. I was praying, God, will you show me what to do? I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to connect these people to you. And um, I started to remember something. I remembered that the person who led me to Jesus didn't look like you. He had hair the color of a rainbow. He was a fashion designer, worked for a big fashion house in London, and actually, had he looked like you, I probably wouldn't have listened to what he had to say. God, in his great wisdom, chose somebody who I identified with to lead me into relationship with God. He's highly strategic. So I thought, well, what can we do? And I was one day praying and asking God, and God said to me, I, I think you should start a nightclub. Now, that was my reaction, too. It was silence, okay. Now, I'd spent all my life in nightclubs, and really, as, when I got saved, I felt I should maybe not spend so much time in nightclubs. Um, I am revisiting that currently. It's a joke, it's a joke. <laughs> Can you imagine me in a nightclub now? Wouldn't that be funny? I think I'd pay good money to see that, <laughs> personally. Oh. And <clears throat> I felt I should tell the pastor now, so I went to the pastor. I'm saved like five seconds, really. Go to the pastor and I say, Pastor, would it be okay if we started a nightclub? And he just looked at me. He said, go home and read your Bible and pray, Simon. <laughs> so I came back two weeks later and I said, Pastor, I can't get over this. I think we should start a nightclub. He said, we're trying to get people out of nightclubs and you want to bring people into them. Can't you get with our program? No, 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 no. After about the fourth visit, he finally, when I unpacked it a little bit, <clears throat> he finally said, well, we'll have a go. We'll do a pilot night. Okay, so we put up, took the church building over, and um, we dressed it accordingly, and we bought in lighting, and we had all these guest singers and house band and people that talked about stuff. And uh, I invited all my friends, as did quite a number of people in the youth group I was part of. And that night, about 34, 35 people gave their hearts to Jesus. But it started with a seed. It started with a thought. And the Hebrew word that describes that kind of God's thoughts becoming our thoughts is the word called paga. It means God intersects our thinking with his thought. Now, how many times have you had thoughts across this year that you haven't paid attention to? How many times you've been praying earnestly for a breakthrough and God has answered in seed-like form and you've looked at the provision and you've thought, really? That can't be right. But yet we can quite easily say his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. The problem with many of us in the room is we want God to think like us. And the difficulty with that is that's a fallen mindset. God has the capacity to see the end before the beginning. And sometimes when you're in the middle of that, you don't always understand what it is that the Spirit is trying to speak to you about. But actually, it's an invitation to a conversation. It's not and shouldn't be dismissed instantly. If I'm praying earnestly that God would do something in my life and I get something from heaven and I sense there's something of God in it, if I don't understand it, that's not a reason to excuse myself from it. I need to go back to prayer and go back to intimacy with God and say, teach me your ways, God. I don't instantly understand how you think or speak about things, but I want to grow in that way. And so 
Jesus receives an answer to the prayer for the impossible task that's set before him. And a couple of things to highlight. In the year that lies ahead, 2019, we are going to be consistently invited to the impossible. If we don't get comfortably uncomfortable about that, then we're going to miss some opportunities for God to bring growth, growth spurts in our hearts and our lives and in our nation. In fact, if you're comfortable, ask him to make you uncomfortable. And he will bring a situation into your life that is beyond you. Why? Because it's his way to always invite you to the impossible reality of God amongst us in power and authority. We've got to get out of the thinking that it's all easily self-contained and we understand it and we get it. And we've got to start appreciating that the stretch is really good for us. 2019, some of you are going to be stretched in ways and manners that right now you don't have any idea about. And before you blame the devil and bind and loose and whatever else we think we're doing, I want you to pause for a moment when it happens and say, God, is this you? Is this you, Lord? Because if this is you, I know this is going to be good for me. Second thing, don't rely on what you've known in the past. Those things are good, but they probably won't take you into the fullness of what God has for you in the future. Self-reliance is far an inferior reality than God-dependence. I think it's lovely that the scriptures tell us that he makes a way where there appears to be in a way, because actually that's often the case. And he causes there to be springs and rivers in a desert place. Why? Because it looks impossible to us that something like that could happen. But actually that's where the, the blessing of God and the partnership with God begins. When you get your seed, and I think some of you already have seed. We'll talk about that in a minute. Don't complain about it. Please don't get, you know, wound up about it. It may not look like it's enough, but actually, here's what Jesus did. He took it. He believed it was from his father as an answer to the cry of his heart. And he lifted his voice. He lifted his voice to the father. And what did he do? He gave thanks. Your seed, however small and insignificant it might look, when you start to give thanks, it starts to increase. It starts to germinate. It starts to manifest something of the goodness of God. Your seed... Just like it happened to you in salvation, just like we know from the Christmas story that God did something in private. When we start to be thanked, what did Mary say at the end of the incarnation uh, conversation? Be it unto me according to your will, O God. She began to partner with the new reality that God was inviting her to. So when I get my seed in 2019, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to be overwhelmed by the big gap between who I am and what's required I'm going to pause for a moment and ask the question, is this you, God? The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to believe that God's answering me. I'm going to believe that what I hear, what I sense, what I read, what I experience is the Spirit speaking to me. And I'm going to start to thank Him. And here's what happens when I thank Him. I start to see an increase of the possibility of God. You see, because when I thank Him, I'm coming into partnership with His nature and His character. Where two or more agree on something, then it starts to manifest and become. I cannot receive the seed from heaven and criticize it and expect the blessing to be produced. I have to start to celebrate what God has given me and stop looking at what God hasn't given me. I start to worship him and honor him and praise him and something begins to happen to the seed and the seed starts to grow and it starts to manifest and it starts to become things so much more and the fourth thing I need to do is I need to give it away. 
So what did Jesus do? When did the miracle happen? When he said, thanks, I think that's the beginning. But when did the miracle manifest? When he gave what he had to his disciples and his disciples gave it to other people. Knowing God and knowing his ways is fundamental to our lives. Many of us are exhausted. Many of us have missed what it is he's offering us because our soulish nature has wanted the spectacular and the dramatic. There are upgrades in our spiritual life that we never received in 2018 because we were looking for the distraction of the grandiose. And God, in his glorious way, in simplicity and humility, offers us something that seemingly appears to be not that valuable or significant at first. But his word, when we partner with it, does not return to him void. I find myself drawn away all the time by the dramatic. And I want God to teach me by the power of his spirit to pay attention to the small. If I'm faithful in the small things, he will bring an increase. I'm looking for major breakthrough. And what I need to experience is the seed of God being scattered over my soul to such a way where one begins to be planted in my heart and in my life. And with that, I begin to praise him and thank him and celebrate because that's the beginning of all that he wants to do. I need to get comfortable with the impossible. I need to be highly engaged in moments like that and not distracted, waiting for some big answer to a big problem when actually the answer is often very small but has the greatest effect. 2019 can be the best year of our lives if we move away from some of our thinking regarding some of this stuff and start to pay attention to the detail of the Spirit's leading and guidance during the course of our year. God will do dramatic things, but more often than not, he does it in a very small and seemingly insignificant way. He starts a revolution with the seed. It's going to be impossible, but that's good. God's going to answer and is answering, but it's going to look small. My response is in trust is to praise and thank him, which germinates and manifests his kingdom. And as I give it away, he gives it back, pressed down, shaken up, overflowing. Why do I need to give it away? Because actually, this is an incorruptible seed. And the way it matures and multiplies is through generosity. So in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus models to us how it is that God interacts with humanity. The impossibility, good. Thank you, Jesus. Many of us have got impossible situations right now. Just wave your hand if that's you. You're in the best place ever. How many of us would like an impossible situation? You see, if you'd listen to me, you'd all have your hands up. Okay? So who's not listening? Who would like an impossible situation? See, you're scared. You're scared, aren't you? <laughs> you're scared. Well, whether you want it or you don't want it, it's probably going to happen. It's probably going to happen. Do you ever look out across the world and think it's going to be impossible? 
How can the church ever affect culture, society, politics, the arts? It looks impossible to us, but that's the invitation. And what has God given us? He's given us seed. There are people in this room that have dreams for commerce and medicine. God is going to speak to us in 2019. Actually, why can't this church be the church that finds the cure for Parkinson's or cancer? There are medical people here, aren't there? We need to start dreaming some bigger dreams. Yeah? I tell you what, the world would pay attention if someone from the church rises up and says, I think this is the issue regarding cancer. Let's do this. And God does something miraculous. Why aren't we asking for strategy like that? See, because we're frightened of the impossibility. It looks too far away from our reality, and so we keep it at a distance. I think we should draw it closer by faith and say, God, bring on those experiences for me in 2019. How many of us have seed? God has spoken a word to you. Who's got promises here? Up in the balcony, have you got promises? Has God spoken a word to you? Do you have a scripture? Is there something currently he's working on? Would you take the seed out for me? Just hold it in your hand metaphorically in front of you just as a, as a picture. It doesn't look much, but has the power to change everything. Here's what we do. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Heavenly Father. You're good. It's not just something we, we sing. It's something we believe. You're good. I've asked you for bread. You would not give me a stone or a scorpion. I've come to you, Father, with my needs. You would not cast me away from you. My God will supply all my needs according to my faith. Not just that, his riches in Christ Jesus, which are unmeasurable. And I encourage you, when you've given thanks and partnered with God, you'll start to see something happen in your life. Faith will rise, hope will come, strength to your bones. All of that stuff happens as a result of that. It's not for you to keep. In fact, if you try to keep it, you may well lose it. Give it away to anybody and everybody. You know, at the end of this story, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Our God is a God of abundance. 